following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts... From Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad. And introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. It is Minute 96 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how are you doing? Brad, I've changed. That's it, I've got nothing else. Yes, there's a lot of conversations about changing that don't make a whole lot of sense. Oh, I'm excited to talk about this, but not as excited as I am about our guest this week. Eric, who's joining us? We have got a veteran animator here. Listen to some of these credits. Pocahontas, Hercules, Tarzan, Looney Tunes back in action, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, Kim Possible, Avengers Assemble, and he also has wrote directed and produced three shorts to pay homage to classic characters, Superman, Bizarro, and someone you might have heard of, Flash Gordon. Please welcome to the Flash Gordon Minute Studios, Rob Pratt. Oh, thank you. That's a great intro. Thank you so much, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Such an amazing career. I uh, spent a lot of time uh, uh, leading up to this, just researching your work and doing a little deep dive. Uh, one thing i got to talk about real quick, I'm a huge Bugs Bunny fan. Oh, me too. Oh, God, I love Bugs. You did some amazing, you directed some amazing Bugs Bunny shorts. They were fantastic. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you saw them. They took forever to, to air. Uh, it seemed like it, I worked on them and it was like a year or two past before finally they're out there. So I'm glad you saw them and I'm glad you liked them. They were great. And I tell you what, uh, I don't want to disparage anyone else's work. Bugs Bunny is a hard character to do because the original Bugs Bunny shorts weren't really made for kids. Right. And since that golden age of Bugs Bunny cartoons and the old shorts that would appear before movies, uh, they've had a tough time because other product has been meant for kids. And your the shorts that you did did a great job of, you know, getting that sort of same feel and, you know, a little bit more of a works-on-two-level sensibility. So I really, really enjoyed that work. Oh, thanks. That's what I was always going for. And when I watched them as a kid, I loved that some of the jokes would go over my head because I think most people are aspirational. They want to feel like they're watching something that's made for somebody older than, especially when you're a kid. So I was always trying to get little jokes in there. And, you know, a lot of them Warner Brothers would bat down, of course. But um, that was definitely the goal. There's kind of a sophistication to bugs and The whole thing about loving those old shorts, too, that's made back in the day when they weren't made for any synergistic reason. They weren't trying to sell uh, any toy or trying to get you to go to a theme park. They were solely made just to entertain you, and that's why they're so good. And, it's you know, as years go by, people forget what Bugs is all about. And I really, when I got there, I, I, I got on my soapbox about, like, you know, everyone knows I love Superman, and that was a big reason why I think Warner's hired me. And I was saying there's, like, this there's a parallel between... Superman and Bugs, there's like this um, uh, empowerment angle where, you know, with Superman, we all feel like we're Clark Kent. So we want to have this fantasy that, oh, I'm only pretending to be Clark Kent. I'm really Superman and I'm perfect and I'm great and I don't need glasses and I'm not nerdy. And there's a similar thing with Bugs Bunny where he doesn't proactively mess with anybody. He just reacts to people screwing with him. 
And um, we all, the fantasy element is like, God, I wish I was as smart as Bugs Bunny. I wish I could talk so fast that my villain's heads were spinning. I wish I could change into a costume really quick and, and fool everybody. And um, so that's the, the kind of idea I tried to get into the board. It's that kind of fantasy of like, I wish I was as smart as, um, as, as Bugs Bunny. Well, you know, the greatest pop culture often is, you know, just really well-balanced and really uh, relatable wish fulfillment. And, uh, you know, Bugs has that because he always is the most clever and the smartest. And it, it, it's so satisfying. But, uh, you know, so, but talking about fantastic pop culture wish fulfillment, we all want to be Flash Gordon. Yes. So, Eric, lead us through. What happens in nine, minute 96 of this movie? Well, we already had uh, earlier uh, this movie uh, a sudden proposal that kind of came out of nowhere when Flash and Dale got engaged. And, and uh, we've got another one here that's much more explicit, whereas before uh, we had Flash making a joke about their kids and Dale says, oh, I accept. And there was a bit of uh, uncertainty if that was a legitimate marriage proposal. Here, Baron just flat out comes up with it. Uh, you know, Aura, of course, you know, always playing it slightly coy. Well, you know, we'll see. And Baron decides to just, you know, seize the moment, goes in for the kiss, and she's just so annoyed. He just, you know, shoves him right away, and, and he gets mad. But it's like, dude, the universe is at stake here. There's no time to make out. This is such a goofy minute at uh, the beginning of this. The, the, the weird proposal, the, the anger that Baron has, it's... Uh... It's just goofy stuff. It's, it's fun, and everyone looks great, but uh, there's just a lot of talk about who's changed and who hasn't changed. And honest to goodness, it sounds like they just did the first line reading without really understanding what they were saying. Yeah, that can't be dialogue. It's hilarious. It is a prime example of, like, people love that movie. It, it's gotten campier and campier as the years gone by. And that dialogue is particularly, like, what makes it so campy and fun about, like, the code has been changed. I've changed. Yeah, I mean, that's so, that's just, <laughs> that is gold. That is gold! <laughs> like, thank you, Mr. Non-Sequitur. <laughs> <laughs> and then to finish up, that, and we're jumping ahead a little bit, but then at the end of that little mini scene, inside the minute, you have Zarkov's like, I haven't changed. It's like, <laughs> the, the, right. the delivery, it, it just really sounded like the, the actors didn't quite know what they were saying. Well, I do, see, I do see a little payoff with Zarkov's line because, right, Ming was trying to uh, brainwash Zarkov. So now he can confidently say, I haven't changed. Like, he, you know, that's giving the, the middle finger to, to Ming the Merciless. Yes, definitely. I could see on the page where the line works. It was just the reading was goofy. It's like, yeah. It's like, oh, well, I haven't changed. You know, like, you could see <laughs> maybe if there had been a few more takes, they could have gotten their heads all around these lines because it's... Uh, it's a little clunky. It, I love yeah. it. And you know what? It, it, it's one of those things where if it would have been done right, I wouldn't enjoy it nearly as much. If they uh, all of a sudden went with the Stanislavski method, uh, you know, really deep dive into the spirit of the lines, then it would just be them talking about who's changed and who has it. Now it's like, it sounds like they learned these lines phonetically, and that's sort of fun. <laughs> right. Like maybe we, we get the, the connection but they probably shot the scenes out of order or the, the actors got the script pages out of order and they didn't realize how it's supposed to connect. Yeah, that's, that's just the feeling I get, and I could be wrong, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's almost too perfect. Everyone looks great. Um, the, the weird um, sort of, and it's gone throughout the, the run of the show, the, I mean, the, throughout the run of the movie when we've talked about it so many times, the weird sexual dynamics where, yeah, you know, Eric's right, 
you got better things to do than trying to make out right now. But it wouldn't be this movie if he didn't. Right. Yeah. And talk about like wish fulfillment. Like what adolescent boy watching that movie wouldn't want to kiss Aura, no matter what the circumstances were. Well, it also sort of reminds me of when you're younger. This is something that happens, I think, real frequently when you're younger, when you're high school or college age. And maybe even going when you get that first girlfriend and you feel like you barely have hold on her too much. And that's the girl that you call too much or you're too affectionate with. Or, of course, that's always what ends up driving the other person away. Uh, yeah. But it sort of seems like Baron's like, oh, well, maybe she's... It was this one time when she seems to be giving a little bit more commitment than she usually does, so he's going to just jump on it. Right, right. And, it's, of course, it's funny seeing James Bond desperate. <laughs> you know, it also makes me think of, you know, it, it's, it's a common thing in movies. You have, you know, there's some kind of tension scene where in, it, it really were going on in real life. There's no way people would have time to try to kiss. And uh, it, it really does work here because of what this movie is and what this movie's trying to be. But as we're just sitting here talking, it made me think of two other science fiction scenes off the top of my head where there's a kiss in a scene that, for me, didn't work, and it drove me crazy. The first one that popped in my head is in The Last Jedi, when Rose kisses Finn at the end. I just, just it did not work for me at all. The, the, that was an eye roller. You know, the First Order's moving in for the kill, and it's like, well, let, let, let's kiss anyway. But then also, in Thor The Dark World, there's the final battle going on, and they cut to that annoying friend of Natalie Portman making out with the guy who saved her life. Yeah. Uh, and it was, and that, that was played for laughs and it just, it just completely didn't work for me uh, at, at all there either. So it's a trope and it can work, but it also can really fail really bad. Yeah. It's all in execution, right? Because the same year Flash Gordon came out, it got crushed by Empire Strikes Back and you see Han Solo is maybe going to his death, getting frozen in carbonite, but he has that last kiss with Leia and it seems fine in that scene. Perfect, yeah. It takes a lot of restraint not to do that at times. I, I remember, oh, a lifetime ago. With, you know, they just released a new Predator movie, and I actually remember an interview a lifetime ago on the Arsenio Hall show with Arnold Schwarzenegger where they asked him how, you know, the, he never had really had a love interest in his movies. And he said, well, you know, they talked about it for Predator, but it didn't make any sense because we're in a jungle. There's one woman we're being chased by, you know, a, a, an alien hunter, it's like, what am I supposed to do? At some point, say, say, hey, before we get killed, do you want to go full around behind that bush over there? I've seen movies where they have done that, you know, where they just feel the need to just shoehorn in that that scene, and it actually shows restraint when they don't, if you can't do it right. Yeah, there's always this constant pressure to make a movie that appeals to the most amount of people possible. And that's a shame, because sometimes you want an action movie just to be an action movie only, and not have that stuff shoehorned in. Now, well, one thing we have to talk about this section in a minute, you, you uh, Rob, you've worked on a movie that had Timothy Dalton in it. That's right, <laughs> yeah, Looney Tunes back in action. Uh, a very, very different Timothy Dalton, although it was him basically playing James Bond gone to seed, sort of, where he was... What Brandon Fraser's father in that, but he would, turns out he, you, they thought he was sort of a mild mannered guy, and it turns out he was a spy. Yeah, I don't know as an animator how what your interaction was is with, and especially with a movie like that where they're sort of splicing in live action and animation together. You know, do they have a point where they bring the the actors come in and see the animators or meet the animators or anything like that? I mean, you know, do you have Timothy Dalton's phone number? Because uh, <laughs> we would actually love to have him on the show. 
Yeah, it's still, you know, animators are still looked at, down on in the, we're lower on the totem pole in the entertainment industry. So we're way off in a little uh, rented space, office space, and none of the actors come visit. And, and um, we just kind of draw on our own and we get, you know, the, the uh, all the materials we need we for, the, you know, for a movie like that where you're matching live action, it would get shot obviously, and then they would um, they would do printouts of every individual frame, and then somebody would um, put animate post those on the animation paper so you can put it on a peg bar and roll it, and then put your drawing on top of it to, to get Bugs Bunny where he needed to be. Um, but that was all done separately in our little animation studio. Um, not, not very glamorous compared to, you know, the Warner Brothers lot where all the actors film. My understanding of it is animation that's a... That's tough, tough work, uh, and, and long work. I mean, I, how long did you, just taking that movie, for example, how, how long did you work on Looney Tunes back in action? That one I only got on the tail end of. Um, it was in production for a little while, and I, it was right, I was still at Disney working on what we thought was going to be the last 2D for a while. It was um, Home on the Range. And we all saw the writing on the wall, because it'd be typical. I was there for about nine years, and it was typical as you're winding down on a movie, you could see the next movie kind of gearing up in production in story. So you knew like, oh, as soon as they get the story ironed out, that's probably going to be timed when I'm done with my assignment. And then I'll, I'll go on to that one and start animating. And you could see that there wasn't another 2D movie in, in development. It was, you know, they were going to go CG. So we kind of knew that, oh boy, this era is coming to an end or it's going to stop for a while. I mean, we, we thought it was going to stop for a while and come back. And so while people were getting laid off from Disney, they were all kind of, that was the life raft we were all swimming to was Looney Tunes back in action. That movie is basically animated by Disney in, in a different in a different building. Because um, as we were all getting laid off, we would go there. And for whatever reason, my date, I was really doing well on um, Home on the Range. I was really getting well with the directors. And they kept me on for a long time. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, so all of my friends had been rolled off, and it was getting kind of lonely for me at Disney because everybody was gone. And I just stayed to the very end of Home on the Range. And then so by the time I got to go on Looney Tunes, I was only there for, I think, the last, I think it was about eight weeks, like two months. The people aren't familiar, in Home on the Range, that's a Disney movie that uh, hasn't gotten a lot of love. Unfortunately, we all kind of felt like it's we're, 2D is on its way out and it's going out with a whimper. We wanted it to go out, you know, we would have preferred a much larger bang. But the, uh, the excitement was all, and, you know, look, and I can understand CG is, I mean, it still looks really cool. And it was this new thing and it was awesome. And you could just feel all of the energy going towards that. So 2D wasn't even getting like, you know, the really big anticipation or, or big giant fanfare that, it had been getting a few years earlier with Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and, and those kind of movies. Um, those kind of big ideas were going to go to the new medium. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not going to do Home on the Range Minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although, Eric, I know that might be a thought of yours for your uh, follow-up to Flash Gordon Minute as we're getting to the end of this. <laughs> yeah. Talking Roseanne Barr is a talking cow. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's stick with uh, Dr. Zarkov and why he knows he has not changed because he he's he's working to try to get the door open because the code has been changed. And if you watch how he's trying to do it, he's got Aura's hand and he's 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 keeps moving her arm so that the <laughs> ring shoots the beam at the lock at different angles. And at one point, he even passes his hand in front of the beam to break the beam. And... <laughs> 
he finally gets it open and he says, I knew it was one of the prime numbers of the Zeman series. Now, how does pointing a laser beam at a wall, how, what is the connection between that and a number? What am I missing there? There's something that's not connecting there. It's so ridiculous. It's, and it's great because it works because Topal is acting the hell out of it. Yeah, he is. And I'm almost positive this scene was just probably done. It's like, uh, just Topal, just take her hand and do stuff. Look like you're working, look like you're thinking, try not to take too much of the focus off of the main action that's going here. So he's just acting the hell out of it without being too big, and then they just give him a crazy line. It's like, nothing that you've said or done makes any sense. Well, I googled Zeman series. Oh, because I was going to say, yeah, just throw some space name in. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, this th- this is the kind of stuff we get into here in the Movies by Minute world, you know? <laughs> so, there is no specific thing called the Zeman series. That is made up. However, I think that I know where the script writer, Leonard, uh, uh, Lorenzo Semple, would have gotten the name from. There was a British mathematician named Sir Eric Christopher Zeman, who was known for his work in geometric topology and singularity theory. And here's why I think that name might have been in Semple's mind when writing the script. Because if you figure the script was probably written in the late 70s, well, in 1978, Zeman gave a series of Christmas lectures at the Royal Institution on TV in the UK, which, incredibly enough, considering they're about math, were a huge hit. So I don't think it's a big stretch to think Semple needs to put something in there about math. This guy, Zeman, had just been in the public consciousness, and he was like, uh, the Zeman series. Wow, that is great. I love that. All right, um, it's really important when uh, Eric breaks out um, these big pieces of research and shows his knowledge about the, you know, you know Eric Zeman and, uh, you know, knowing that this is a minute by minute. I do have to remind uh, our listeners out there, ladies, he is taken. <laughs> Yes, anybody that just got very excited by the knowledge I just dropped. I, I <laughs> Our female <laughs> listener is just there fanning herself. <laughs> Unfortunately, Sir Zeman died in 2016, so he's not with us anymore. Uh, and uh, But he lived long enough to appreciate his name drop. You know, I, I hope so. I, you would, I, I hope he saw the movie and saw that, and I was like, oh, oh isn't that lovely? Oh. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I, in doing the Google search, I came across this little tidbit. There's a movie that I've never heard of called Five Children and It, uh, and in the IMDb trivia for this movie, it says that there's an uncle who says he's got a math problem, and the answer is a prime number of the Zeman series, which is <laughs> a reference to this line and it's uh it's reinforced that it's fictional because the number he gives is an even number and of course the only even prime number is the number two so uh further enforcing the fictional fictionality of the zeman series (laughs) well i'm glad that's settled (laughs) jeez that is awesome so all right so yeah the, the zeman series Part of the Zeman series, which just doesn't exist, but it ends up being a bunch of more than one movie. So uh, we're going to challenge all the uh, writers uh, and uh, out there. Eh, just just add that into your whatever piece of fiction you're putting together, because uh, eh, we, we should we should bring it back. The Zeman series. Yeah, let's make the Zeman series be like a one one three eight or something like that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so so what next? So now we we move on. Yes, we move back to War Rocket Ajax, and um, we, we're we're 
we're setting up the, the real big finale here at the end of this minute. Uh, Voltan and Flash have control of War Rocket Ajax. Uh, Voltan sends his men, you know, go out, fly behind us. We're, 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 we're coming in. Uh, and Flash is setting the clock. And now, after the last time we were checked, it was uh, about 14 hours to save the Earth. We are now down to three minutes and 21 seconds left to save the Earth. <laughs> what have they been doing? <laughs> Two things. First, what have they been doing? Second, how did he set the clock? I've been trying to get my father to set clocks in his house for the last 30 years, and he can't do it. But Flash is all of a sudden on the spaceship where he can reset this. Flash can do it all? It really should just be a flashing 12, like my old VCR in my parents' house. And, uh, you know, it's another thing. I love it, and it helps. And it's, I, I love, you know, ticking clock, you know, countdowns in movies, and the, the movie wouldn't be the same without it. It's, it's another thing that doesn't make a lick of sense but yeah and, and it and it fits the you know serialized uh nature of the roots of flash gordon also <laughs> right yeah almost want it to be funky yeah yeah exactly right i i loved our friend bureau getting a warning from uh Voltan to keep your head down <laughs> First off, he shouldn't be walking around just a few minutes ago he was like Injured and just couldn't even stand up or move. Couldn't even push the button to detonate the bomb. He couldn't push the button. And I love little uh, little bit of flames on the uh, seats, you know, to to really show that the ship is damaged. <laughs> no, that is awesome. It's it's re- just really fun. It's all this is this is all set up. We're coming real quick to um, so, some. We're getting to the to to the final, you know, big scene in the movie, and it's a lot of setup. Uh, we, we're getting some great Voltan stuff. He's just grumbling and yelling and laughing. And uh, it's, we're getting some really good voltan minutes. And, uh, God, it's so fun. His casting is great. You know, when you watch the old, you know, I watch the old serials. And I watch, you know, of course, the movie again to, to make the, sh- the short that I made. And, uh, and seeing how the actors that played the characters in the short, it's like, wow, they really uh, cast fantastically. Because everything that they did amplified what was already in the in the serials and made it better and brian blesswood is absolutely perfect princess aura is perfect they, they all are they're they're all phenomenal and that's a great voltan scene we've we've talked about this um yeah before you know we've gone through the casting as characters have been introduced and one thing uh that we have just stolen mercilessly from the folks at uh, star wars minute is uh and, and Eric does a great job with this, uh, you know, picking out other actors that are born the same year who who would be interesting cast. And we've come up with some intriguing selections. We've talked a little bit about it. We we wouldn't be against seeing a young Kurt Russell as Flash, but but no one as perfect. No, in these roles, it really is fantastic casting, top to bottom. Yeah, absolutely. And then in the minute we're talking about, I think this is where we get the great Brian May playing the wedding march, right? That starts tomorrow. Oh, is that on the next minute? Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. I think you might hear maybe the first note, but yeah, but tomorrow we really get their wedding march and it's just, oh, I have so many things to say about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fortunately, I do have to call out one negative thing about this minute. Uh, We've got, we've got a lazy editing moment here, Brad. Um, when we cut back to War Rocket Ajax, it's a blink and you'll miss it. You got to do it on freeze frame. But there is a split second where the sky in front of War Rocket Ajax is completely empty, and then suddenly all of the Hawkmen blink into existence. The reason it's I'm, I'm calling out the editor on this is because 
the visual effects person would have obviously, you know, inserted the effects of having the, the, the small little dark shadows of the Hawkman in the distance. All the editor had to do when he was cutting the movie together was advance the tape like maybe, you know, a tenth of a second. And we cut back and, 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 and you don't have that. Uh, yeah. Now, again, when the movie was made 38 years ago, they didn't know that geeks like us were going to be going through this movie. But at the same time, I mean, come on. I mean, you know, Rob, Rob, you edit. I mean, it's like a tenth of a second here. Yeah, yeah. And then everyone's watching it a million times before it gets finalized. How did they yeah. get Yeah, it seems like you had one job. You had one job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just must have been so exhausted by this point. It's like, whatever. No one's going to notice. <laughs> there will never be a minute-by-minute minute podcast. <laughs> this has been an f- amazing first minute. Uh, Rob, it's so great to have you on. Uh, and we're going to talk more and more about your animated shorts. We're going to talk about everything about your career because it's just an incredible career that you've had. Oh, thank you. We were just incredibly impressed with your uh, the, the fan-made shorts that you did. Um, the, the, they were spectacular. But, uh, you know, we're going to have a lot more talk about that. But uh, right now, I just want to, uh, where, where can people, um, you know, please plug your pluggables. Where can people find out more about your stuff? Okay, you can see my animation on YouTube on the channel called Rob Pratt, where 2D animation is not dead. And then on Facebook, I have a Facebook page for my Carman character, Carman the Road Rage Antihero. And that's an original character that I've been um, animating. And those will be an episode, so I'll have a new episode every couple of months. You can find all the stuff by uh, all the other stuff by following those videos. You can go to Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and look me up. I like to talk animation, and I like to make friends, and um, it's all good. Please do it. I gotta talk real quick about Carman, uh, which is fantastic. They're short episodes; they're just a few minutes long. Uh, but it's, the, the pacing's amazing, um, and I, I love just the hook of it. And um, uh, one thing that you do so well in it, or th- that I really enjoy, is it's not easy to animate cars, and you do a heck of a good job animating the cars and the movement of the vehicles and everything. Uh, really, really cool. Thank you. I've been meaning to put up a video about that because I bought, I did it kind of the way um, the Disney Studio did with Cruella DeVille's car. They had a little model car that they would um, film and rotoscope and use as reference. So I. I was at a Toys R Us, and they, they, they had the perfect 1969 Chevy Nova that I wanted to use, and I bought the toy. It's a 1 to 16 scale, and I actually, you know, take pictures of it with the camera. Now, what Disney would do is they would, rotoscope is tracing every single frame, and I didn't want to go that far. So I would do little key frames, take snapshots of the car. I would trace those, but then... Um, to smooth out the animation, you, do, you add in-betweens. Uh, in-betweens are drawings that go in-between the main uh, drawings that describe the movement. And I would do all the in-betweens by hand so that they would be a little bit imperfect. I didn't want, I wanted it to look organic and blend in with the character animation. Um, so I'm glad that somebody noticed that there was a, a, a attention to detail to that. Thank you very much. You know, I, I recognize some of the, you had a Dodge Caliber in one of the episodes and I owned a Dodge Caliber. I was like, wait a minute, that was my car. That right on is, yeah, I want Carmen. It's like this thing about road rage and that's the hook. But I also want it to be a love letter to the to the muscle cars of America. Very cool. Recommend everyone check it out. We have so much cool stuff to talk about in the next uh, for the rest of this week. But you know, before we get to that, uh, Eric, where can people find out more about Flash Gordon Minute? 
Well, they can chat with us on Facebook. We have our fan page, the Flash Gordon Minute Listeners Vortex. We are on Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod, and we are still on email, Minute at gmail.com. Uh, we kindly ask that everyone give us a rating and review on iTunes. The more ratings and reviews you get, the more visibility we get, the more people that can join the fun. Uh, and it is a lot of fun. But, Eric, it's, it's not all fun. I actually uh, I, I have a conundrum. Good word, good word. Yeah, yeah, I like to dr- break out something different every now and then. So, you know, watching the uh, Flash Gordon classic uh, sh- animated short that uh, um, Rob created, it was just amazing. It got me things like, you know, this, this needs to be a movie. I think about how great it would be to have uh, Flash Gordon Minute uh, productions and, you know, ha- have this movie produced and this full-length animated movie with Rob Pratt directing. And then I, but the problem is, Eric, I'm pretty sure the budget we could afford is about $40, $50? <laughs> you know, and I, I don't think that's enough. Uh, yeah, uh, well, if you're concerned about uh, having 40 or $50, when in reality it's probably more like 40 or $0.50 cents our budget would be, <laughs> because as we often like to talk about, uh, we this costs us money running this podcast. If, if, you, if, you're, if you're lacking cabbage, if you're missing your moolah, if you're down on your dough, don't worry about it. Flash will save every one of us. That was great alliteration. Good lord, Rob, he 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 ad libs that. Without it, that's phenomenal. <laughs> that's unbelievable. He's the best. I I did it one week. We switched it up, and he was worried about stuff. And uh, I tell you what, I, I I think I did okay. But damn, I uh, Eric is the master of that. Attention, listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at FlashGordonPod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. Who's gonna play?